Hi, this is George Thorgood. Hey, this is Pat Travers. Hey, this is Steve Lukather of Toto. Hey, this is Ryan. Hey, this is Chuck. We're in Black Top Mojo, and you're listening to Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. All right, everybody, welcome to Guitar Talk. This is Jimmy Warren. So thankful that you're joining me this January 2021. That's right, it's our first show, our second season, first show of 2021 man and we got some cool stuff in store today that's for sure but before we get into it i want to make sure that you're uh, following us on all aspects of social media on facebook and twitter and instagram and subscribing to our youtube channel which is now up and live and you'll also be able to view this interview because it was done through zoom at youtube at our youtube channel at guitar talk with jimmy warren so, and then also our new website launched on January 1st, Guitar Talk Official, which also launched our competition, our first guitar improv competition where you can download a backing track and register to enter the contest, record yourself, video record yourself playing to the track and submit it back to us before the end of January on or before the 31st for an opportunity to win a brand new Telecaster and an opportunity to be my guest right here on Guitar Talk. So, uh, yeah, we're going to spend an entire hour just talking about you. That's right, what you like, your gear, your playing, your influences. We'll talk about you so much that you'll never want to talk about yourself again. At least that's what I'm claiming. I don't know if that'll actually happen, but we're going to try. So let's dive in today. Today, my guest is one of my favorite guitar players, and that's John Harrington. John Harrington is mostly known for his participation as the guitarist in the historic band Steely Dan. That's right. You didn't miss mishear me. Steely Dan. That's where you'll find John. And uh, so we had an opportunity to, to sit down and, um, you know, talk about his influences and his playing and his gear and his master classes. And, you know, he even took out the guitar and, you know, played just a little bit, which was so friggin' cool. You know, I could watch John play and listen to him play all day long. So, you know what, without further ado, we're going to dive right in. I tell you what, though, you're going to want to stay posted to Guitar Talk because there's so much great stuff going on this month, okay? I just I just felt like I had to interject that. All right, so here we go. My interview with the one and only John Harrington. Hey, James. Yes. How are you? I'm real good, sir. How are you? <laughs> pretty, pretty good, considering. <laughs> <laughs> It's a Friday night. And you're talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know they all run together. I'm afraid <laughs> all these nights. <laughs> yeah, and the days too. I don't know which day is which. And uh, I, I, I've always been like that because I'm a musician. Of course, you know we we had different schedules from the normal people. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But now it's just uh, crazier than ever, as you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can hear me all right, I guess. Right. I can. I can hear okay. you great. See you great. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. I know you're. Even with things going on, I know you're probably pretty busy. Well, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to find ways to keep busy, but believe me, I, I've got I've got some time on my hands for a change. <laughs> it's not like the old days, but uh, it's all right. I'm I'm uh, I'm managing, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? They they got a vaccine. You know, it's going to come up, and yeah, that's a great know. thing. That's that's finally some good news, and 
Yeah. I think maybe, uh, you know, there's, I have work on the books, you know, all the Steely Dan work was postponed by about a year, literally, and rebooked for, for, I guess maybe June we start. And this is the first time I've been sort of optimistic that it's actually going to happen because by then, even uh, regular people, I think, will probably be on the list for the vaccine and will be getting it. You know, if if things go well, we'll see. I mean, you know, but I wasn't sure before those vaccines came out with that that good uh, report. You know, um, I wasn't sure we'd be working uh, even in the summer next year. So, uh, yeah. So we'll see. I, it's going to be it's still a long haul. We got to wait, make it through six more months or something. But uh, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure we. It looks like we will be working, you know, in which yeah. is great, you know, in in June or so. Yeah, I, I saw I saw your schedule for Sealy Dan, and yeah, uh, uh, you're with oh, uh, oh my God, who are you Stevie doing? Winwood? It's, yeah, it's Stevie with, Winwood. with Stevie Winwood. Yeah, that's that is going to be so good. We've done that before, and and he's he's a sweetheart. He's uh, yeah, he, he's a great musician. He still sounds amazing. He's still singing all those tunes in the same keys and, <laughs> and wow. he plays great guitar too, actually. So, uh, you know, yeah, and yeah. the organ thing is always so great. So and yeah. he's, a, he's a great man and great, great, nice guy. And, uh, so it'll be fun to be out with those guys again. The whole band yeah. is nice. So. Well, I, I hope you don't mind if I ask you some questions that you've probably been asked a, a hundred times, but this is my first time talking to you. <laughs> so I'd like I to, understand it's, right. it's totally okay. It's fine. I mean, you know, I'd like no to hear, and I haven't been doing that many interviews lately. So uh, with with Steely Dan sort of on hold, like we have been, like everybody has been, it's it's, it's been a little quiet. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I heard that you started out on piano. Is that correct? Well, yeah, I guess you could sort of say that. I mean, I mean, as a as a very young kid, you know, maybe uh, I probably was a first grader or something like that. You know, uh, I I was taking piano lessons for about a year or something like that. But I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a really dedicated student. Um, I was sort of interested at first, but, uh, um, it was kind of like my parents sort of required it, you know? And so anything that was required, uh, I kind of naturally rebelled against. So, uh, <laughs> so it didn't last. And finally, you know, my parents got, my father was kind of insistent that, uh, that my mother make me practice every day and she, but she, she wouldn't have it because she said, well, you don't have to, you're not the one who has to sit there and like tell him when he's just sitting there like moping and not playing. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, she didn't want to fight that battle anymore. And uh, so actually I think it's a good thing because I think if they had forced me, I I might've lost interest in any kind of music, you know, And, and at least this way I was sort of free to, to sort of fall in love with the guitar when I did, you know, yeah. I played saxophone too in grade school, which was sort of fun, you know. But uh, but I never got any good at that either. So, so, it, so it when really did you took make, the, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say. So when did you make the transfer over? When did you? I the, didn't start. I started playing guitar when I was. It was about eighth grade, and um, the uh, I mean we had we had started bands uh, even three years earlier when I was playing saxophone, and a couple neighbors were. A couple of kids in my class were playing guitar, you know, and they they used to bring their guitars over uh, to my parents' basement, you know, because uh, my mother was the only one who would stand the racket, you know, <laughs> and so uh, we used the re- my my cellar as the base uh, as the rehearsal room, and the drummer left his drums there, and the bass player left his bass there, and the two guitar players left 
their guitars there because they never practiced. <laughs> so, so for me, it was like a kid in the candy store. I went downstairs every day and I started playing their guitars <laughs> every day. I didn't have a guitar, but I learned how to play the guitars because I was actually playing them every day. <laughs> so before too long, I uh, was able to get my parents to actually buy me a guitar, and then and then I was kind of off and running because because I really fell in love with the with the music of the t- of the day, which was you know this was British invasion rock and roll stuff. It was. Yeah. You know, Cream and Hendrix and The Who and Zeppelin and that was I just I, I just loved all that you know so mm-hmm. I just had to try to drop the needle on the you know record and just try to figure every well get as close as I could to figuring out you know what was going on and uh, so I just uh, I became really kind of obsessed with uh, with you know just that music and and the guitar because the guitar was so you know, such a prominent thing in that. I mean, it was drums and guitar and bass, I guess, mostly. But, like, the guitar was the thing with the with the notes, with the pitches, you know. The drums were cool, but but I needed I needed stuff with pitches. You know, I just, I knew that. So, uh, so that was, you know, that's that's kind of how it started. And then when we had a, I put bands together all through high school. And, you know, we were writing tunes and playing locally, just, you know, with, mm. with our little band, playing, like, high school dances and things like that, you know. Yeah. But, you know, guys like uh, like Hendrix and, um, you know, Eric Clapton, they just made playing guitar cool. You Absolutely. Know? Well, that was a whole different thing. I mean, I mean yeah, there actually was a, there was quite a bit of uh, fashion about it that that I don't think I paid much attention to. But but of course, I must have on some level because, you know, we were kids and, you know, it was def- I, mean, I remember this one very vivid uh, memory of some music. Uh, which I laugh at now because uh, I went over to, uh, you know, a, a neighbor's house. And I was still a, maybe I had started playing guitar. I think I had just started playing guitar, probably like that age, around eighth grade or something. And I went to a friend's house uh, and his older brother had just come back from the record store. And he had a couple records and he had the first Led Zeppelin record. But he also had like a West Montgomery record or something that he had mm-hmm. bought, you know. And so... <laughs> We we listened to both of them, and I just had no room for West Montgomery at that time. You know? <laughs> and I'm a I'm a I'm yeah, absolute huge devotee of West Montgomery. Now I yeah. I uh, went through a you know a, a serious jazz phase, and I you know he's he's like at the top of the heap for me pretty much. But at the time, you know, this sounded like it was one of those later records where he's playing all octaves, and it it sounded kind of commercial and like not very interesting and. Uh, and it just sounded like for old people, you know, and and Zeppelin was like, you know, yeah, gang, gang. It was like, yeah, this is it. I, this is what I want, you know. So, so uh, that was, you know, there was definitely some fashion about it too, you know. It was, and, and it was music that the that the that our parents, you know, were not were not uh, allowed to enjoy, you know. Yeah. It was ours, you know. So pretty yeah. great. In those in those early days, though, when you were first learning guitar and experiencing guitar and that, what would you say are a couple of the things from that time frame that helped mold you into the player you are today? Well, I think I, I think one of the most powerful things, which it's really interesting to sort of uh, to to sort of notice that, like even you know, what is it? It's it's like probably over fifty years later, you know. Uh, this stuff still feels powerful, but I think the uh, really one of the things that made the deepest impression on me was the actual 
sound of of an amplified guitar, and I'm thinking of a very particular one too because it was uh, it's on the uh, it's the it's Eric Clapton's tone on the Wheels of Fire live side. You know, um, it's like the Crossroad one and Spoonful and all you know all those the the live stuff from from that record. It uh, of course it has it's it's in a big room and and. And so you hear natural reverb on the, on the thing, and it's just, but it's just, it's just a fantastic, uh, overdriven, you know, amplifier sound, like a Marshall with a Les Paul or SG or something, and uh, or a 335 or something. I don't know what it is, but uh, it's definitely a Gibson guitar through a Marshall amp, and it's really turned up, and <laughs> and 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 also it's it's Clapton's sensibility too. He he. He liked to roll the tone back a little. He liked a quite dark, sort of rich, almost violin-type tone, you know. And I just, I mean, that just spoke to me. I mean, and, and I think maybe it was partly because I had been a saxophone player. There was something about that that kind of connected, I think, sonically for me. But but it just, I mean, I was a fan of Hendrix because I thought the, the he was one of the most creative guys working in pop music, you know. I mean, with the studio sort of, stuff the experimentation and the amazing layering of stuff and and just just such an original on the guitar but i was never drawn in the same way to the sound you know i mean i just for whatever reason gravitated towards that rich sort of you know almost like i said most like a violin or a cello's kind of sound you know um and and to this day that's still like a big motivator and like and so that, just the idea that that can sort of get planted at such an early age and just never go away is is pretty remarkable to me. It's still like when I whenever I have to like try to get a sound. I mean, I'm I'm hearing that in my head. And I'm trying to think, okay, how can I get closer to that with this equipment, whatever I'm using, you know. So, so that's that's probably the single most remarkable thing I remember, just uh, that that has stuck with me, you know. Now, but I think there's another thing just to the general style. I mean, uh, I have this theory that that most most people who uh, become musicians, and probably even most people who are just music listeners, um, I think there's sort of a critical period of age when you're an adolescent, when you hear music and you get excited about it, and and it's it's really deep and powerful. You know, mm-hmm. it it seems to sort of stay with you. You know, you can. I mean, like me, I, I I spent a long time. I learned to love Wes Montgomery, as I said. I learned. To, I spent about ten years, and I didn't bend a string. You know, just playing jazz and trying yeah. to learn a whole different style of music. Uh, and I studied a lot of classical music, so I became a fan of lots of other music. But somehow, like when it when it came time for me to write and do my own records, the the touchstones for me were always the music that you know, formed me, and it was all in my adolescence, you know, and a little earlier, too. I mean, it was Beatles, Stones, and the British Invasion rock stuff, you know, that just, I mean, there's, there's definitely later things, like the jazz thing, that gets in there, but but essentially, like, the way I think about songs and what I love about songs, I mean, it's all sort of formed from that time of my life, you know, so that's mm. kind of wild to think that, but I think that's pretty much true for a lot of people. Like Donald Fagan, he's he was a jazz listener when he was a kid, and he just was he was like a beatnik kid, beatnik wannabe kid, you know. And so he just it's it's never changed for him. He just he just still loves that when he, when you like go to his dressing room and he's listening to music. It's always the same music. It's it's never it's always like 
it's usually before Coltrane. It's like it's like fifties, you know, like late up up through the late fifties and early sixties, you know, but not much later. It's like it's just it's what yeah. he got formed on, you know. It's what he it's what he loves, you know. It doesn't wow. change, you know. <laughs> it's funny. Wow. You know, though uh you're one of those guys, though, that has become known for having, uh, at least at least in my book, uh, having a, a really iconic sound, right? Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I, that's that's nice to hear. I'm not I'm not sure. <laughs> I would I would, uh, I would I'm not sure that I would say that. But I, if 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 it's true, I'm I'm very glad. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is is that there's certain people. You know, we all have certain people that we pay attention to when it comes to their playing and their sound and, you know, what what they're doing in that. And, you know, for a guy like me, you're a guy that I definitely pay attention to. And there's there's some there's some unique aspects about about your sound. I think you have a well-crafted tone. Right. And I really do. And I think it's I care about it. I I do think a lot about it. I've worked on it for, for sure. But. Well, yeah, and and the the type of instruments that you use versus the types of uh, amplifiers that you're using, you know, uh, let, let's be honest, it's not it's not what most people are using, you know. I mean, most guys are, you know, a Gibson to a, a to a Marshall or you know a Fender to a Fender or something like that, and you know, and here you're using a three thirty six into a a guy tone or a blue tone, which to me, you know, are amazing amplifiers. They are great amplifiers. It's a guy Tron. Actually, it's a G G U Y T R O N. It's a funny name. Guy Hedrick uh, designed it. Um, yeah, th- those are, those are great amplifiers. I mean, it's, it's, you know, neither one of them is, is all that different really from, from a, a good Marshall amplifier, really. I mean, they're they're they are in the sort of same sort of vintage sort of sonically. They're sort of in a in a vintage world uh, that that isn't really far from a, a great Marshall. But but they but they're both pro amps that have features that that allow me to uh, like they have effects loops and uh, especially the Guytron has just an amazing master volume. So so they're handy things and they're channel switchers, you know. So they're they're handy things that are like kind of useful tools, but, but sonically that both of those amps are really, I mean, like the Bluto tone was designed to sort of sound like the Dumble overdrive special. And that, that was a souped up fender amp, you know, originally. And, uh, so that's in that ballpark. And the, um, and the Guytron really is sort of a hybrid, uh, between a Vox almost like a Vox front end, uh, well, not front end, but a Vox power amp stage into a Marshall power amp stage. It's a kind of a wild design. But it has, you know, uh, the kind of tubes that you'd find in a Vox amp and also a full array of tubes in the final power amp stage that a Marshall 100-watt amp would have. And and Guy was very much into, into those sounds, you know. So he, he had a vintage year, but he was trying to put them in a package that was sort of friendly for a, for a pro user again with all those with the great master volume and with the effects loop and the channel switching so that that really uh th- those are the reasons i use those i mean if i i guess i could use lots of different sort of vintage amps if if there was a monitoring setup where i could get the effects on them in a way i like and it didn't mess with the tone but but this is the, these amps provided a pretty simple solution so i i 
I've been using them for a long time. And the guitars, you know, I mean, for me, like when I think about guitars, I think I I do think basically like the Gibson and Fender. Those are the. I mean, there of course there are other great sounds, and uh, like I'm a fan of Gretsch guitars, but but there's not much. I don't find much application for them in the music that I find myself doing, you know, like with Steely mm-hmm. Dan and stuff. But it's for me, it's mostly a world of like it's it's Fender or Gibson. Those are the those are quite different guitar tones to start with before you go to amp, you know. And so, um, and because I'm not, I've never been quite as comfortable on a Stratocaster as I as I am on a Telecaster. The Fender's sounds I go for tend to be Tele's. And uh, and the Gibsons, uh, since Les Pauls are so heavy, <laughs> I've uh, I've leaned towards the SG and uh, and this 336, which is a, a mainstay, and and then some Eastman guitars that are also in the same sort of bag. You know, they're the semi hollows that are uh, like a shrunken 335 design, sort of. You know, so uh, I don't think they're that unusual choices, but uh, but they are. I mean, I I really do. You know, I tried to find guitars that really, you know, that really sing. You know, that are alive mm-hmm. and uh, bright and you know, full. You know, some some of them are just dead right off the top. You, even before you plug them in, they just you know, you can tell they're just they're not alive. They just don't feel like they're really working. But even that SG I have, you know, you, I I I bought it without plugging it in because I could tell right off the top of the body it was just this thing was just alive. You know. Yeah. And it's weird with a solid body guitar to think of that, but but it's true, and it, and it is. It's a great sounding one. It's one of my favorite guitars. So. Yeah, well, an SG is a great guitar. The the, the it can be. There's a lot of crummy ones. I, I've I've owned like several <laughs> SGs and got and been happy to get rid of them because they just they were kind of dull sounding. And mm-hmm. so I think you have to. I mean, it's, you can't just buy the model. I think you have to buy the individual guitar. You know. Yeah. And uh, to be that sure, and, and you're a guy that modifies your stuff, though, too, correct? I mean, you're well, not. A guy. I, I, there's, there's a, there's a sort of handful of mods I, I pretty much do on any guitar that I'm going to play a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not really, uh, they're nothing proprietary or special, really. Uh, they're just sort of things that make me comfortable. Like, uh, and you know, I have a guitar tech who. Uh, he was on the road with Celia for a little while, um, who who does some of those mods, and uh, and then the guy who who has been traveling with the band when we when we're at, has done a lot of work, you know, maintenance work on the guitars too. But but pretty much, if I buy a new guitar, first of all, I don't like I don't like uh, the Gibson volume setup where they have a separate volume for each pickup, you know. So I always have to sort of rewire it so there's a, a master volume for both pickups, you know. Otherwise, I get. I get fooled by like, oh, I switch pickups and the sound's not there, <laughs> or it's too loud, or you know. So I like one handy volume control closer to my, you know, my right hand. Not that I I don't have to search for it, but it's right handy, and uh, and I like it to be a master volume. So one of one of the invariably one of the controls of the four on a Gibson guitar is is a dummy. It's just not not hooked up, not doing anything. So I usually have two tones in one volume, yeah. and uh, and I don't you know I. I I often move the pickup selector so I don't accidentally hit it. I put it somewhere else further away. I think ideally I'd probably like it up here where Les Paul is, but uh, yeah. But uh, you can see even on this thing, I, I moved it, you know, so uh, you can see that this is where the pickup selector used to be right here, right? Right. 
but right. that's now my master volume, and this is I, I switch these two. So that way, you know, I can I can really get easily with my pinky, just grab this. And that's the one, I, and I ride it a lot, you know. Yeah. So uh, it it really helps to have that. So, and then I I also, uh, you know, people put uh, sometimes this little network of a capacitor and a resistor on a volume. Uh, you know, on the volume control. Um, I forget exactly where it is, but I'm not technically savvy about it. But basically, it's it's like a, I guess it's like a high-pass filter or something. So when you roll back the 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 uh, volume, you don't lose high-end. Like some, you know, you, you've right. played guitars where, like, you, you play, and it sounds great when, it's, when the volume's all the way up, but you roll back, and it gets really dark and dull-sounding as if you're changing mm -hmm. the tone. And I hate that, so uh, so I routinely have a guy put put that sort of that little filtering thing on there, so that when I roll back the volume, it actually it's 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 even sweeter somehow. There's something about it. If you get the right values in there, it just sweetens up the sound. Mm -hmm. And I I actually prefer playing uh, almost all my guitars just a little under wide open, you know, because uh, yeah. it just. There's, it, I like that circuit. It does something nice. It kind of sweetens it or something. So, uh, and and also I like I like being able to sort of if you, if I have a cranked up sound, you know, like dialed in, I like to be able to, uh, you know, if it's uh, it's a heavy sound, you, I like to be able to like to, to get, you know, get get in that gray area. And there's something about it that, like, if you don't have that that little network on there, it uh, it gets harder to do that. It just sounds weak and like kind of anemic, you know. So, but that with the with that stuff on there, it it just it it's it's kind of a nice. It's nice to have sort of the amp working, but the guitar just sort of teasing it, you know. It's it's, it's yeah. there's a, a lot of gray area in there you can explore. Sonically, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. Wow. Really good stuff. So let me ask you about your master classes. Um, I'm, I, I know that that's one of the things that you're doing right now in order to. Yeah, well, yeah, the closest thing to a gig, I, I guess I have. <laughs> well, we got, we got to talk about it. I was actually, uh, Susan had sent me the information to go on to one, but unfortunately I wasn't able to go in that, but, uh, uh, maybe well, I do two. Maybe. I do two different types actually. There's, there's and we, we're averaging about once a month. Um, there's a great guitar player, a friend of mine in, in L.A. named Alan Hines, who uh, uh, has been doing these. He, he's been doing a little longer than I have, but <clears throat> but I uh, joined him several months ago. We've done maybe five, I think, by now. Um, and and the the basic idea for that one is that we we pick a couple of, of songs uh, to. To sort of have students study and work on, and we send them tracks, play along tracks, with some instructions about what to do, uh, you know, how to prepare and how to play on these tunes, and then we ask we ask all the participants to record solos on on the uh, tracks, send them back to us. We listen and make notes and send email responses, and uh, and then we talk about it and pl we play some of the examples of the of the players you know that recorded the stuff and we we talk about it and it's kind of a group vibe and uh i think everybody learns from everybody else which is which is pretty cool um and 
Occasionally, we've even had some special guests drop in. Like Steve Lukather dropped in one time. That was a blast. <laughs> of course, <laughs> he's a riot. Yeah. Uh, do you know Steve? Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. He's fantastic. And uh, and actually, uh, Travis Carlton, the bass player, he's uh, Larry's son, and uh, he's worked with so many great uh, guitar players, uh, including his father, of course. So uh, he was a treat to have on, and I'm sure everybody was excited to. Hear some of his stories, you know, about yeah. working with guitar players. So, uh, so that's one. And the other one I do is, uh, it was started uh, as a a way of sort of offering my like sort of personal help for anybody who was working on arrangements um, for guitar in a couple of the books that I've recently uh, uh, published and sold on my website. You know, yeah. uh, so. But it's kind of evolved and morphed into basically a study of how to arrange for guitar. And it's sort of a workshop on arranging for solo guitar. And that's really in a sort of uh, more in a jazz style. Um, you know, the way uh, the way um, Wes Montgomery would have played a solo piece with no band, you know, just by himself. Uh, you know, uh, melody and chords together and uh, in, in a, mostly in a jazz style. Although we do some pop tunes, too. Um and that's been really fun because, uh, and it's been really productive for me because I pick three tunes uh, and ask people to uh, take a stab at arranging them if they one of them if they want, and uh, and then we literally compare notes during the uh, the meeting, and uh, you know they'll play their arrangement of the tune and I'll play mine, and uh, and for and for me it's been great because uh, I've got like I think I've got a dozen dozen new arrangements which are uh, going to probably be the bulk of a third book of arrangements that I'll probably get done maybe sometime, but I hope by the middle of next year, you know. So uh, so that's kind of nice. It's uh, I'm actually going to have something to show for all this t- time at home, you know. What, what about <laughs> so, a new recording? Have you, uh, you know, well, new John Harrington? Project? No, there's a well. I mean, there's a new there's a new record. Uh, the most recent record I've done uh, is is a duo record with uh, my buddy Jim Beard. It's right. called Chunks and Chair Knobs, and it's it's I guess you'd call it a jazz record, but it's this, it's it's got some wacky tunes on it, and uh, it's it's sort of our take on a, a jazz duo, and uh, you know we've been playing together for over forty years, and I don't know why we, it took us that long to think of doing a duo record, but <laughs> but uh, we finally did, and um, and it, it was it was fun, and uh, we were we were in the middle of a tour of Ireland actually with just the two of us doing a duo tour when the whole pandemic thing hit. So we had to interrupt that. We, and it was, it was awful. Actually, it was awful to have to like, you know, we were, we were about half done, maybe a little more than half done. And it just was, ugh. yeah, it's a, it's a bad memory, but, uh, but we're, uh, we're, we're really, really uh, looking forward to reviving it when, when, you know, when we can work again. So, uh, so that's on the, that's on the agenda too. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't really, I haven't really been thinking about recording another record right now, since that one sort of we were we were busy trying to promote that one and get out and play behind that one, uh, and we were interrupted. So, and it's a little tough. I mean, I, I mean, I've been you know we, we can you know we did we did one recording uh, of a, a single song that uh, of mine that I wrote early in this pandemic time and. Uh, I sent the I sent the uh I sent the tra- I did a little rough demo of it and then sent the track to uh Keith Carlock in Nashville to play drums on it. I sent it to uh 
great bass player uh, in Israel, Barack Mori, who I worked with for years with Madeline Peru, and had him play upright bass on it. And then Jim played Fender Rhodes on it, and I played mm-hmm. guitar on it. So we did we we did sort of a a track, just a single song, uh, in this remote way, and you know it, it came out really well actually, but. Uh, but the idea of doing, I, I, I just haven't come up with the motivation to do an entire record like that. Just, it just yeah. feels a little forced, you know. And, and it just, you know, it's an, it's an almost but not quite thing. I mean, I think the, re- the, the recording sounds great, but it's a funny way to work, and it feels, you know, so unnatural in some ways, you know, compared yeah. to being in a room and being able to play together. So, so I think I'm, I'm just going to try to be patient and uh, <laughs> wait it out until we can have that opportunity back you know yeah i actually and and i i know you don't know this but i actually did a recording of uh, one of your songs oh really uh, yeah uh which got one and got you oh wow <laughs> i tell you what i i record <laughs> i recorded it with uh i don't know if you know walter trout but i, I the name yeah yeah i recorded it with with his band uh uh-huh. johnny Park on bass and michael lazier on drums and uh i did it last the end of last year okay it was it was my it was actually my ninth my ninth cd and i was going to release it in march and i ended up just releasing it as a single because you know with the way things are right now you know who the hell knows so i just just threw it out there but i absolutely love the song what i've never gotten so many compliments People come up to me all the time and go, it's such a great song. You wrote such a great song, and I always have to tell them, you know, it's mine. <laughs> it's not mine. Yeah, well, that's nice. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm, yeah. I'm flattered that you would want to do it. And, uh, yeah, it is a fun tune. It's it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I actually really enjoy that song. I, I love your work. I think I think a person you should make an album with is Mark Goldenberg. I don't know if you're um, familiar with Mark or not. But... Yeah, I am. I, I, I uh, but, but not... You have to remind me. Tell me more. Is he out in California? He is. He plays. Yeah. Uh, he was with uh, Jackson Brown. Okay, right. That's. Yeah. He played that's Willie Nelson and Linda Ronstadt and Bonnie yeah, Ray. That's where I remember him from. Yeah. Yeah. Great player, though. It's been I mean, a while. Yeah. It's been too. He does long. a lot of jazzy stuff too. You know, he mm-hmm. does. You know, uh, trio and duo type stuff too. He reminds me. You guys remind me a lot of each other. In that, to to some. In some ways, you're nothing the same. <laughs> no, I understand. But yeah, it'd be a great album. Oh my lord, that would be a great. Yeah. You know, you I'll know what? To, I'll have to find him again. Yeah. Again. Well, John, I uh, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to chat with me. I really do appreciate my it. My pleasure, James. It's all right. All right, so there you go. John Harrington of Sealy Dan. I want to thank John so much for participating in Guitar Talk this week. It was an absolute pleasure to be able to spend some time with him. He's a true master. Now, make sure you're going to his website, johnharrington.com. You know, he's doing all kinds of lessons. Uh, he's doing some master classes with a variety of different people. One of those people is Alan Hines. I tell you what, you get the opportunity to take a class with both John and Alan Hines. I tell you what, you don't get no better than that. That's for sure. 
So uh, thanks to John. Make sure you're following him, you know, on all forms of social media and stay posted as to what is going on with him and that. So, yeah, it was really cool. I want to thank John. You know, next week, I'll tell you what, one guy who inspired me and influenced me from a very early age was Frank Marino. And uh, I've always felt that Frank was a very underrated uh, guitar player, you know, never really got the credit that he really deserves because, man, the guy can play, you know. I've had the opportunity of knowing Frank for a while, and, uh, you know, this is the second time that I've been able to interview him. And so uh, Frank Marino is going to join us next Wednesday right here on Guitar Talk. And so uh, it was a great conversation. I mean, really, really good conversation. And there is a lot of uh, nuggets of, you know, wisdom when it comes to playing and gear and the industry and all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely something that you're not going to want to miss. So next week, join me with my guest, Frank Marino from Frank Marino Mahogany Rush. So that's going to be amazing. Make sure you're going to the new website, guitartalkofficial.com. Make sure you join our uh, contest, enter our contest to see if you can win a Telecaster and be a guest on my show. Uh, just a lot of things going on. Make sure you're following us on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And also subscribe to our new YouTube channel, which you can uh, see this interview with John Harrington on there today. So there's already some stuff up there. So you don't want to miss it. Go, you know, hey, get on board, man. It's going to be great. So I will see you next week with my guest, Frank Marino. You all stay safe.